The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. Every sports media star has a story. From the highs... We are number one. We just grabbed every key demographic. <laughs> to the lows... You're fired! The path to success is always different. To help you learn more about the industry's top broadcasters, Barrett Sports Media brings you the Sports Talkers Podcast. Now, here's your host, Stephen Strong. Episode 13, Sports Talkers Podcast, BarrettSportsMedia.com. Stephen Strom here. Great to have you in today. We will have a sit-down with Ryan Rucco, ESPN, play-by-play on the NBA, fills in for the Yankees and Nets on the S Network, and has become the voice, as I mentioned before, of the WNBA, host of the R2C2 podcast with CC Sabathia. He was kind enough to join us today for an interesting conversation, his upbringing, the beginnings of his sportscasting career, headed to Fordham, and now pretty much the voice of the WNBA, the face of it, and we get into a, a ton of stuff about the WNBA and his responsibility in order to grow the game. It's, it's very interesting, uh, his perspective of things and how ESPN has really invested into the W and, and these shows, right, in the percentages and the ratings are all sky high. And um, really fun conversation with Ryan. Looking forward to sharing it with you. But before, rate, subscribe, review on wherever you get your podcast. It helps us. It helps BarrettSportsMedia.com. Just take 30 seconds. That's all I'm asking. You type it in, Sports Talkers Podcast, five-star review. How about you just subscribe so when it comes out on Thursday, you get an alert on your phone. It's a lot easier. So without further ado, let's get to Ryan Rucco on the Sports Talkers Podcast. All right, Ryan, let's start here. You grew up in New York. Take us to the beginnings of when you wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I knew I wanted to broadcast from the time I was a little kid, honestly. Probably, if you, well, if you look at my fifth grade yearbook, it says for career goals to play and announce for the Yankees. Now, the play part obviously <laughs> didn't happen, but uh, the announce part happening is pretty cool. Um, I think just I would watch games. I was a huge, 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 huge sports fan. And uh, and played, you know, every sport as well. And I just would constantly watch games with my dad and we would just pay attention to the announcers and just like what the announcers would say really helped shape moments for me and memories for me. And it resonated with me and was attractive to me. And I thought, you know, what is the closest proximity to the energy of the game, to recreating that feeling if you're not going to be playing? Uh, and you're not going to be coaching. And I thought that was broadcasting. And so I really knew from the time I was in elementary school that I wanted to do this. Once I transferred to Fordham after my freshman year at Loyola in Maryland, opportunities really opened up for me to just grow and learn how to broadcast. I had an amazing, amazing mentor, Bob Ahrens, who ran WFDP Sports at Fordham. He really taught me the ropes of broadcasting. Mm. I was just obsessed. I was literally you know, every single day at the radio station for hours upon hours on end. When I was in college, we had something called the Marty Glickman play-by-play award Mm. uh, for the best uh, play-by-play broadcaster that year. And uh, one of the judges was Pete Silverman, who at the time was the executive producer of uh, ESPN Radio in New York. He heard me, thought I was good, and uh, wanted to hire me right out of college. So he did for um, updates in New York, doing updates. And I remember at the time talking with my agent, who was someone who I'd gone to just to like 
give me kind of advice. Uh, and she really liked my tape and decided to sign me, uh, Jackie Harris, when I was a senior in college. So hold on. How old are you at this point? 21, 22? Yeah, I was 20, 21. I just turned 21. Yeah. Like, I don't really know if I should do these updates. Like, I want to do play-by-play. And she was like, trust me. You're going to be on ESPN Radio New York. Just get in the door. Things will work out. And one thing kind of led to another. I was all also doing stats at the time for Yankees telecast, which came out of a yes network internship I had while I was in college and like kind of each thing fueled each other where like people at Yankee stadium saw me doing stats heard me on the radio were interested in me in hosting for the scoreboard. I started doing that. Then yes is hearing me on the radio, seeing me host. And they're like, Hey, we want you to do a couple college basketball games for us. Then we want you to do a Nets game. And, you know, just one thing kind of led to another. Then I was doing a lot of yes play by play, was only hosting for ESPN. And then ESPN saw my yes play by play. I was like, well, why don't we use him for play by play? And then that kind of grew. And then eventually I was able to let go of the hosting and just, you know, go uh, full speed into, you know, my, my true love, which is play by play. So this is really good, I think, for everyone, not just young broadcasters, to be versatile. You are doing hosting. You're doing stats for the Yankees. What would you, I guess, call that as far as maybe just creating opportunities? You're at all these different places. You're getting noticed. How would you describe that method of trying to get your foot in the door to younger broadcasters? Yeah, I think just like you're getting exposed to different people in different areas of the business, too. You know, like there are things I learned doing stats that help me do play-by-play today, right? There are things I learned as an intern that helped me do play-by-play today. Like there are um, things I learned just getting reps doing demo broadcasts that help me do play-by-play today. Everything fuels each other, you know, because the more you can learn about what everybody's job is in order for the you know whole broadcast to be successful, the better you're going to be at your own job. And also I think the more relatable of a teammate you're going to be, um, the more understanding you're going to be. So I, I really think each thing helps each other. Also, like first and foremost, like people just want to know you're a good teammate and a good person and someone they want to work with, you know, and like, it doesn't really matter what tasks you have mm. or what skills you have, like you need opportunities to show that. So for me at Yes, what really started my opportunity was my internship. I had just a voracious work ethic and I was just obsessed with like, finishing as many tasks as I could as an intern. And so then Ashley Fugazi, who's one of the longtime, uh, just like essential people at Yes, and Jared Boschnack, who's now our VP of production, they both like noticed my work ethic and that I knew the game talking to me. And, and they wanted to like see if there was anything else for me to do. And there happened to be an opening to do stats for 40 home games in the booth. I had never done stats, but I was like, I'm going to get in the, be in the booth with the announcers. Like, so it was like, you're not doing that saying like, Oh, when am I going to do play by play? You're doing that saying like, I am going to kill this. Whoever, you know, is in charge is going to notice what great work I do. And then they're going to become more invested in me as a person and get to know me. And then they'll, they'll ask me those questions about like, well, what do you want to do? Like, or, Oh, I'll listen to your tape or whatever. But it all starts with just like them getting comfortable with you as a person um, and getting comfortable with your your work ethic. This leads me to the next question for this is how do you as a young broadcaster or in this case, you're a broadcaster and a statistician, how do you convey to management and be ambitious? But then at the same time, you don't want to come off as you're not doing your job or you don't want to annoy 
uh, upper management. How do you find that balance between those two things? Well, I think first and foremost, you just don't, like my dad used to always say, what would drive him nuts is like, he has an intern there on like day one or two asking, how do I get a full-time job? And it's like, well, how do I know I want to give you a full-time job? You know? So I think first and foremost, like the number one key is to act like the only task you're ever going to have is the one that's in front of you and absolutely crush it. So if that means transcribing tape, which was something I did a lot of as an intern, I guess, that's what it means. If that means like going and running a tape from, you know, Manhattan to Stanford, that's what it means. You know, whatever it is, the number one key is just to crush whatever tasks are in front of you. Because what will naturally happen, and I see that now with me too, as a broadcaster, when I have different runners around me and they're just amazing at what they do, naturally you end up asking them like, well, what do you ultimately want to do? And now they're in your brain and something pops up and you think, nope, my, Chris might be good for that. Or, you know, Tom might be good for that. Or Sarah might be good for that. Or, you know, Monica might be good for that, whatever, because they're in your brain, you know? Um, and I, uh, I, I think that like that first and foremost is what happens. And then at some point when you develop a relationship, because they've gotten to know you and like you, because they trust your work ethic, you say to the person, you know, who you feel like you have a genuine relationship with, like, hey, Jared, like, would you mind taking a listen to my tape at some point? Like, I'd love to get some feedback. It can't just be like you're there day one, you're there right. day two, you're there week two, and you're like, hey, can I have you listen to my tape? It's like, well, first, make sure that you've given me a reason to care about you as a person. And then we can go from there. Because the reality is, like there's a million people who are talented and who want to do this stuff. And so the key is just like, first and foremost, separating yourself as a person and as a worker, and then we can get into your skills and talent. Great advice there from Ryan. Uh, how did you get into the WNBA? When did that opportunity present itself? So I was, it's funny. I was actually kind of recounting the story yesterday uh, to one of our executives at at uh, ESPN because I'm out in Vegas for the WNBA finals I was hosting shows uh, for ESPN radio in New York and at that point my co-host was Stephen A. Smith and I was doing Nets play-by-play a lot of Nets play-by-play on yes and I think maybe I was just starting to do some hosting for Yankees stuff on yes like studio hosting for them but anyway um, and I did like occasionally ESPN radio fill and play by play. And we've been trying to crack into the TV. And Stephen A had also been telling executives, they're like, you got to listen to Ryan's play by play. Like he's really good. Like we're not using him. And so that combination of people, they had this opening at WNBA and they thought it was the perfect place for me to kind of break into our ESPN um, play by play field. Right. And, you know, at the time, full disclosure, I was already doing NBA because I was already doing nets. And I was like, look, like, I feel like I should be doing NBA, you know, and I didn't yet know how much I was going to love the WNBA and what an amazing league, an amazing sport it is. Um, And so I was kind of like, I'm not sure if this is the right move. And, And Tim and Lori were very much like, trust me, take this opportunity. It's going to be amazing for you. You're going to love this league. You're going to love working with Rebecca Lobo and Holly Rowe. And then working with Rebecca Lobo and Holly Rowe, first of all, I just fell in love with the fluidity of our rhythm uh, broadcasting. Then I fell in love with the basketball, the WNBA and this league and uh, the women in it. And instead of viewing the WNBA as a stepping stone, Mm. um, 
I viewed it as a destination because I just fell in love with the league. And I was like, Hey, like I take pride in growing with this league. And so when we see our ratings, you know, up 40% this year from last year and last year, if they were up significant, like I take pride in that because this is now my 10th year with this league. Like I feel a real ownership of, of the product and of the league and of, you know, doing my best to help uh, make these moments sound uh, important, incredible, and meaningful, and enthusiastic to the audience. Um, and uh, and anybody, I mean, anybody who just watched that Seattle Vegas series knows the basketball is incredible, and it has been essential for the growth of my career. And I also would not be doing all the NBA games I do on ESPN if it was not for uh, the opportunity I got uh, with the W. So Ryan, you know. Just looking on social media and when ESPN will post a video or a clip, you will have people flooding the comments with negative stuff and ignorant comments. How frustrating is it for you to read those things or hear about these things as you do these games? Well, you know, I think first and foremost, like social media is, um, it's a medium that is sort of tailored to having those ignorant instant reactions to things and feeling comfortable expressing them right so like marshall McLuhan, who probably understood media as well as anybody in the history of our world he has this quote where he used to always say the medium is the message and uh the same way that like something that's said on radio just feels more intimate than something that says on tv like even if it's the same exact content like that's the result of the medium um and i just feel like social media is a medium that sort of lends itself to instant reaction no nuance no depth you know instant flames if you will and 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 inflammatory commentary and and ignorance um so like i don't pay a ton of attention to any sort of commentary like that on social media i think that for the WNBA, one thing talking to players in the league that i think sometimes is a is a disservice to the league itself and the sport um it's just like constant comparisons to the NBA. Like if you were just not comping it to the NBA and taking it as its own entity, I think like there would be a totally different appreciation for it, you know? Um, And so it's like, and by the way, like NBA hoopers appreciate and love this game, love the WNBA, love this league. Like, you know, I'm calling game one of the finals yesterday and Kyle Lowry sitting courtside. So is John Morant. So is DeMarcus Cousins. So is Ty Lue. You know, even the money aspect of things and uh, several prominent WNBA players have talked to me about this as well. It's like if you compare the money to the NBA, then it feels like, oh, but if you are just comparing it to life in general, it's a totally different feel. Right. Right. Like I think sometimes that comparison can sort of skew people's like initial impression or appreciation. But the other thing you have to understand is this is a league that has been waiting on investment and is finally getting it. Yep. And so and you see the numbers with the investment. Yeah, right. Exactly. And even the, 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 uh, you know, the, the round of fundraising that Kathy Engelbert, who is the exact right commissioner to steer the ship at this moment in time, seeing that kind of investment in the league gives it the tools to grow. You know, even with us at ESPN, seeing us do countdown shows and seeing the ratings reflect that growth, you know? So I think that if you actually look at where this league is, in its infancy, which, you know, 25 years in is still very young for a sports league, you would be like, oh, wow, like, 
this is clearly a greenfield opportunity for people where it's growing. I'm really excited to see where it is going because the basketball is great and only getting better. I just feel like it's an incredible time for the league and the growth we're seeing now, I really feel like it's just the foundation of what we're about to see. Very interesting stuff there. Let's transition to the NBA and Michael Grady, who is the former sideline reporter for the Brooklyn Nets. You worked hand in hand with him. He's now off to Minnesota to be the voice of the Timberwolves. Tell us a little bit about Michael. What makes him unique and what should fans expect from him in Minnesota? Well, first and foremost, Michael is a terrific human being. He is just the kind of teammate you dream about. We are going to miss him so desperately in Brooklyn because his presence is just one of sunshine. He is, he's just the ultimate teammate. And um, I know for Sarah and me on the road, we're going to really miss uh, the time we get to spend uh, with Michael. Uh, and, and I know Ian will feel the same and, and Richard as well, uh, not to mention Frank DeGrace, our, our producer and, and, uh, and our, our entire crew. Um, talent wise, he's off the charts. Like, I mean, his, his voice is a 10 out of 10. He has absolutely golden pipes. Um, he really wants to be great at play by play. And, you know, he is just going to flourish getting all of these reps because what was amazing is how quickly he got so much better with such limited reps just over the last couple of years. Cause he really hadn't had a ton of play-by-play reps right. and he was so committed to getting better. The questions he'd ask, the prep he'd do, even the little nuanced things he want to learn from Ian and me. And it's just like, you could just tell like, he was all in on honing this craft and becoming great at it. So his work is going to be impeccable. And like one little thing that I noticed right away, like his first year just doing some games, like he kind of would have very similar ways of punctuating uh, big buckets and whatever. By his second year, he had a million different ways to say them, a million different ways to punctuate it. And a great example of that is the Nets had this epic comeback against the Knicks last year. And like, there was all these huge buckets and every single one, he used different words and hit in a different way. And like that creates unique moments and unique yep. memories for the viewer rather than like just a run on of like, yeah, this one also sounded like this one also sounded like this one, right? Like coming up with these different phrases, these different words, these different ways to punctuate things. And he already had taken like these ridiculous veteran level strides. And it was only really his second year of getting any reps. He's just going to get better. Like watch how much better he is after a full season in Minnesota. Mm. Like, and that team is so exciting. Very so fun. Young talent. He's going to be the perfect voice to be the soundtrack to this unique moment in time for that franchise. I, I just think it's an amazing hire. He's going to absolutely crush it. And Michael's play-by-play career is going to take off. Well, we're looking forward to it this upcoming season. All right, Ryan, let's end on this. For younger broadcasters like myself, we're always trying to get better. What do you hear in younger broadcasters that you can give to us to continue to work on and to continue to grow as a sports broadcaster? Yeah, that's um, that's a good question. Uh you know, just like a couple of my foundational pieces of advice. Like, so one is something that Red Barber told Vin Scully when Vin was just getting into broadcasting and uh, about to take over the Dodgers. And he said, remember, there's only one thing you can bring in the booth with you that nobody else can. And that's yourself. 
That's it. You know, if I try and sound like Joe Buck, I'm only ever going to be second best, right? If I try and sound like Michael Kay, I'm only ever going to be second best. If I try and sound like Mike Breen, I'm only ever going to be second best. And so there has to be a real comfort with just being you, whoever you are. Another thing, Bob Ahrens, uh, my mentor at uh, WFUV, this is another one of my foundational pieces of advice. He used to always say, uh, Ryan, when shit's live, shit happens. And like, <laughs> This is exactly how he talks. And, um, and his whole point was like, don't freak out when things go wrong. It's live. Things are supposed to happen. Like the key is understanding that's part of it. So if you have, you know, something go wrong with your headset and you're freaking out or you say something differently than you wanted to or whatever, you know, and you're freaking out. So the point is like embracing that it is part of it, you know, like don't worry if things go wrong. You're live. Things are going to go wrong. You're not going to say everything the way you want to say it. It's just not going to happen. It's an impossibility. And that person tweeting at you, they couldn't do it either. I also think something I learned the first meeting I ever took with the TV executive was with Kristen Breedis, who is now an agent. And she said, be someone who's easy to work with. And I love that because the reality is if you're difficult, if you're 22 years old, I don't care how talented you are. And you come in and you're difficult. You're yelling at the audio guy or you're like, oh, how is this not here? Why aren't they doing it? Guess what? See you later. I can find somebody else, you know. But if you're someone who's just starting out and you have that kind of mentality, get out of here. I can find somebody else. I promise you. And it's just going to be a more joyful experience if you're someone who's easy to work with. So I think that's a real key, like being someone who's easy to work with, like, be someone who analysts want to work with. Be someone who producers, directors want to work with, reporters want to work with, because then when the opportunities come up, those people are going to be your advocates. And they're going to be saying like, hey, you should hire this person. You know, Part of the reason that I had a shot at being the voice of the Final Four for Women's College was because Holly Rowe and Rebecca Lobo were advocating for me. The, the two names that they were bringing up were Beth Mowens and me because they love both of us as people and respect yep. our work, you know? Um, and, and they think we're good teammates and they like working with us, you know? So that is so huge. You know, you know, you know, you know how many times a boss asks me about someone I work with, like it happens a lot when my analyst sits down in the chair next to me, I want them to think this is going to be an easy day for me. All right, you can catch Ryan tonight. Game three of the WNBA finals are on ESPN, Las Vegas aces versus the Connecticut sun. Really big thanks to him for joining us. Great advice and, and a nice conversation. Make sure to check out all the other podcasts on BarrettSportsMedia.com. I'm Steven Strom. Talk to you next Thursday here on the Sports Talkers podcast. Thank you for listening to the Sports Talkers podcast with Steven Strom. A reminder that each episode can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcasting platforms. To stay up to date on future episodes, visit BarrettSportsMedia.com.